All right, good morning, guys. How you doing? Good? Yeah? Doing okay? I know. Spring ahead is brutal. Hey, first, let me thank uh, Brett and Tricia. Thank you guys for sharing your slice with us this morning. It's awesome just to hear what God's done in your lives individually and then together in your marriage. And not just that, but to see how he's blessed the church through you guys and, and your faithfulness to him. So thanks for sharing. Um, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name's Dave Orweller, one of the pastors here of H2O, and uh, it's great to be here and to be with you guys this morning. You know it's spring break, and so much of our church is gone for this week and for next week, um, and uh, so that means we have a cool opportunity to do a short two-week series about whatever we wanted to do, um, and so we thought this would be a great opportunity uh, for us to kick off this two-week series called Billboards. And our hope with this series is to just dig into how both singleness and marriage point us to Jesus. Marriage and singleness, relationship status, it's a big deal, right? And if it's a big deal in general, it's especially a big deal for us because we are generally a church full of young people who are wrestling with how to be single or how to be married in a way that honors God. I tried to figure out the breakdown for our church, just a sense of how many people are married, how many people are single, and it's actually kind of hard to count how many people are a part of our church because so many people are coming and going um, with school and all the other things, but I, I think there were about maybe a thousand people who have come to a Sunday service since August. So maybe half of that who have been to one of our small group communities since that time. And that doesn't really matter, but the point is, when I counted up how many uh, married people there were, there were around 100 people. And so what that showed me was that the vast majority of us are single, right? And even for the 10 to 20% of us who are married, we've only been married for a really short time, a few years. And so if I can be so bold as to speak for all of us, we're fumbling around in our singleness and fumbling around in our marriages just trying to figure them out, right? I know I am, a lot of the folks I know are. We aren't experts in marriage and we aren't experts in singleness. And we have a lot to learn about both of them. And that really matters to us because it's hugely important for us to dig into these topics because our view of singleness and our view of marriage, it has a direct impact on how we navigate our daily lives and on how we treat one another and on how together we can point people to Jesus. I wanna say that one more time. Our view of singleness and marriage has a direct and practical impact on how we navigate our, our lives right now, wherever we find ourselves. It has a direct impact on how we treat one another it has a direct impact on how we can together point people to Jesus. So if that's true, then it's really important for us to view singleness and view marriage as God does, to have our view shaped by him. And I, I hope it's not bursting any bubbles, but that's not the default, right? The default is that our view of singleness and marriage has been shaped by the families we grew up in or our experiences or our friends or our culture or even the culture within the church that we've been a part of. And unfortunately, not all those influences have been positive, right? Not all of them have helped us see singleness the way God sees it. 
And not all of them have helped us see marriage the way God sees it. And so if we want to follow Jesus in these areas, then we have to let God's word shape us instead of all those other things. And that's really our goal for this sermon series. I know it's quick. We're not going to cover everything there is to cover about marriage today, and we're not going to cover everything there is to cover about singleness next week. But that's our hope. So next week, we're going to be talking about how singleness points us to Jesus. And this week, we're going to focus in on marriage and see the same thing, how marriage points us to Jesus in a unique way, but together, we can point people to Jesus through our marriage and our singleness. Sound good? Yeah? Okay. We got one, one guy's excited about this, so that's good. All right, let me just pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the chance we have to come together and to just, uh, as a family, turn our attention to you and um, specifically dig into the topic of marriage and singleness and how both of those um, are designed by you and are used by you to help point people to Jesus. We pray you'd speak to us about uh, both of them and about how you would have us view them and how we can live that out in a way that's honoring to you and unified with one another and is a, is a picture for the world to see you. And we just pray for your help in that this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so in just a minute, we're going to look at like maybe the classic passage about marriage uh, in the Bible from Ephesians 5. But before we do that, I just want to have us look at a really common picture that the Bible uses to talk about marriage, to talk about health in a marriage, to talk about health in a family, to talk about health even in the church. And the picture is that of a healthy body. We know a lot about healthy bodies. In a body, there's different parts, and the different parts each have a unique role or function. And we know that the body's healthy as a whole when all the parts are working together for the good of the whole body and when um, each part values and embraces its unique role or function or design. When those things happen, we can have healthy bodies. And when they don't happen, we have some problems, right? Have Have you ever experienced that in your own body? I said we're young. Maybe we're too young to have experienced that too much. I've experienced that a little bit. I have this medication that I take regularly that, that can cause dizziness. And uh, it's usually you know, not noticeable except for when I stand up quickly and I don't give my head a chance to sort of <laughs> adjust to the new altitude or I don't know what it is. Um, but I can get pretty dizzy. So every now and then I'll stand up and just forget about that and start, start going somewhere. And my, my arms will be going and my, my feet will be going and then my head is like, I don't even know what's going on. It starts to get black. And I have to slow down, right? Or I'll lose my balance and fall over. Now, I've never actually totally fallen over, but I've come pretty close. Once I was going down the stairs and I had to grab the railing and just hold on, okay. So it's not a big deal, I'm fine. But uh, (laughs) you know, that experience is really bizarre, right? It wasn't painful, but it, it was so disorienting. Like my body wasn't working together with my head. And if I didn't pause and get it all working together, I was (laughs) headed for a crash. Well, that's the image that Paul uses to describe health, both within the body of Christ and within marriage. And we're going to see that in this passage as we dig into it today. So this is Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I just want to read the whole passage, and then we'll look at some of the details here in just a second. 
It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a lot of good stuff in that passage for us to dig into. But before we get into any of the details, I just want to point out that there is a clear God-designed connection between marriage and the body of Christ. And that connection, at least in some ways, it goes in both directions. So Jesus' relationship with the church is a model for us to follow in a healthy marriage. It's the model for us to follow. And in a healthy marriage, it, it calls our attention to Jesus' relationship to the church. We're going to dig into both of those this morning. So I want to just start with what does this passage, what does it say about Jesus and the church within the body of Christ? There's three things I want to point out. And the first is just this. If we believe in Jesus, we are one with him. We're united to him. And Paul said in that passage, that's a profound mystery. That's a big deal. Think about that for a minute. If you believe in Jesus, you're one with God, the creator of the universe. That takes a minute to understand, right? That's what it means that we're in Christ and Christ is in us. We're one with him. And there's a ton of implications about that, way more than we could dig into um, in one day. But here's just a few, just to list some. We're forgiven in him. We're a new creation in him. We're created for good works. In him, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. There's now no condemnation for us because we are in him. In him, we've become the righteousness of God. We bear much fruit if we abide in him. And apart from him, we can do nothing. In him, we have a sure and lasting hope for the future. And we could go on and on and on. It is a profound mystery that if we believe in Jesus, we're one with him. All of the results of the gospel are because we're united to Christ. Okay, so the second thing this passage shows us about the body of Christ is that Jesus is the head. It's talking about headship. Headship is about responsibility and about leadership. But leadership, not as the world does leadership, but leadership as we've been seeing it in the past few sermon series we've been doing, right, in God's kingdom. It's not a power over kind of leadership. It's a coming under to serve and nourish and provide and protect kind of servant leadership. 
So if we just skim through our passage this morning, here's what Jesus does as the head of the church. He loves us. And the word there for love is agape, which means seeking the highest good for another. He gave himself up for us at great cost to himself. He sanctified us and cleansed us in order to present us in splendor, holiness, and without blemish. He nourishes and cherishes us. That's Jesus' headship. That's what it looks like. It isn't about dominating or using or repressing. It's about breathing health and life and vibrancy. In the very beginning of Ephesians 5, it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus is our example of leadership and headship. So Jesus is the head of the body, and then we who believe in Jesus were the members of his body. And as his, the members of his body, we receive and submit to his leadership. Now, if we're honest, submission doesn't sound very good, right? At least, that's not where I go with it. Do you have a mental picture of submission? I don't know why. This is my mental picture of submission. It looks painful, right, and completely undesirable. Not just because of the man sweat, which is really gross. <laughs> I don't want that. That's forced submission, domination, really. And if you think about it, forced submission, it, it really isn't the kind of submission that God wants from us. And it isn't the kind of submission that we want from the people that we lead in whatever roles we're leading, right? I, I'm a dad, I have some kids, and so I tell them to do things, and I tell them to not do things, and I want them to do what I say. But what do I really want in that? I don't want them to submit because I can physically overpower them or intimidate them or manipulate them into obeying me. I don't want to have to give Jake a headlock every time I ask him to do the dishes. That's not what I'm going for. I want him to trust me in my heart. I want him to choose to listen because they love me, because they know I'm helping them and protecting them and looking out for what's best for them. And you know, for, for submission, it doesn't really get to the heart, does it? That wrestler probably in his heart is not in that position. But there's a different kind of submission, right? There's a willing submission. It's based on that agape self giving kind of love and trust and honor and respect. It's the kind of submission that actually does flow out of the heart, out of the will. It's still probably difficult and painful, but because it's chosen, it's beautiful. That kind of submission to God is worship. And that's the kind of submission that God wants from us. So maybe our, our mental picture should be a little less like a sweaty, dominated wrestler and a little more, I don't want to be cheesy, but a little bit more like Jesus, right? He came here to this world, experienced the pain of life willingly. He died on the cross for us willingly, not because he was forced to. And because of that, that was beautiful. Beautiful to the Father and it's beautiful to us. If we go back to that verse that we looked at in the beginning of Ephesians 5, 
It said, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, it was painful for him, but no one forced him to do it. He was willingly, he went willingly in submission to his heavenly father. And so he's not just our example of headship and leadership, he's also our example of submission. So here's a big picture. If we believe in Jesus, we're one with him, and together we make up the body of Christ with Jesus being the head who leads, provides, protects, initiates, and with us as the members of his body submitting to him. And the result is a whole, unified, healthy, eternal, glorious body. And it's beautiful. And that's huge in and of itself. But what Paul is saying in this passage is that the body of Christ, it's both the context and the model for a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage happens within the context of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is also a model for a healthy marriage. Why does it matter that the body of Christ is the context for a healthy marriage? Well, if we just take a step back for a second, the body of Christ is actually the context we all live in as followers of Jesus, right? Married or single, male or female, husband, wife, parent, child, whatever sort of distinction we want to make. And so that means our marriages fit within the body of Christ, and that means our singleness fits within the body of Christ. We're all members of the same body. That means we're all valuable. So married people are no more valuable than single people. Single people, no more valuable than married people. Husbands, no more valuable than wives. Wives, no more valuable than husbands. That, that also means that we all belong. We have a place in this body. We belong here. We have a design, a purpose. It means we're all submitting. We're all submitting to Jesus, to the place he's called us to, and designed us for within his body. And also, then we're called to submit to one another. This is the verse that actually leads into this passage about marriage. It's Ephesians 5.21. says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's an important context for life in the church, and it's an important context for marriage. So how's the body of Christ a model for a healthy marriage? Well, in a healthy marriage, the husband is the head of the wife. And as the head, they're called to model their headship after Jesus' example. So husbands, they're called to love agape, their wives, as Christ loved the church. That's a challenging call. How do we do that? By following in Jesus' footsteps, by giving of ourselves and nourishing and cherishing and prioritizing our wives for their highest good. In the same way, the wife is like the body, and so wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, which, again, is a challenging call. And just to be clear, the as to the Lord here, it doesn't mean a wife submits to a husband in the same way she would submit to Jesus, because husbands aren't Jesus, right? We, we know that. Thank you, Jeff. I thought that might be funny. There's at least a couple differences. 
yeah? We're weak, we're broken, we're sinful. On occasion, there are times when we're wrong and we need help. There are times when we need to be challenged to submit to Jesus in the body of Christ. So that as to the Lord there, it means as a willing sacrifice and service to the Lord. So even in submission, we're following the example of submission that Jesus gave us. How are wives to submit to their husbands? Honestly, the passage doesn't say all that much about it. The only other thing it says is by respecting them as they lead and even as they need help. So when you have a husband who's seeking to love his wife as Christ loved the church and a wife who's seeking to submit to her her husband as unto the Lord, even when they fail to do it and they extend grace to one another, it creates a beautiful oneness and a healthy, thriving body. But that's not all, actually. And this sort of leads to the big idea for today. The more we model our marriages after the body of Christ, the more they become like giant billboards pointing people to Jesus. Let's look back at our passage in verse 31. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Healthy marriages point to a profound mystery. And the profound mystery, though, it's not human marriage. I think sometimes we can give that impression in the church, like that's the profound mystery. Marriage is a blessing from God, and it comes with its joys and challenges. And the same exact same thing is true of singleness, right? Singleness is a blessing from God, and it comes with its joys and challenges. But the profound mystery is the marriage of Jesus to his church. It's the unity of Jesus with those who follow him. And guess who's included in that? Everybody, everybody who follows Jesus, no matter who you are. That's really the heart of the gospel message. And what this passage is showing us is that marriage plays a unique role in pointing people to that reality. It's meant to reflect Jesus' loving and devoted union with the church. And really it foreshadows what is yet to come. When he will return and that union, it'll be an earthly reality forever. We will be with Jesus. But what might surprise you is that singleness also has a part to play in displaying that reality to the world, and it's a unique part. I don't want to spoil next week, because we're going to focus on singleness the whole time. But singleness, it's meant to reflect the set-apart love and devotion that the church has for Jesus. As a single person lives a life that's set apart and holy and devoted to Jesus, it shows the world that Jesus is worth it, that he's all we need. It's the picture of a a bride waiting for marriage. We'll dig into that more next week. So what do we do with that this morning? 
I want to just give us a few things as we think about our view of marriage. And the first thing is this. I think all of us need to evaluate our thoughts and our attitudes about marriage in light of this. Whether we're single or married, it's good to ask ourselves if we agree with God about marriage. Do we see marriage the way God sees it? Do we define it the way he defines it? Do we value it the way he values it? And we go all over the place in terms of how we value marriage, right? I think a lot of people seriously need to consider if they're overvaluing marriage, if we're making marriage an idol. It's really easy for us to do that, to think marriage is the answer or the arrival in life or whatever. Jesus is meant to be that, not marriage. Are we making an idol of marriage? Some of us are on the complete other side of the spectrum, and we need to seriously consider if we're undervaluing marriage. Do we see it just as something we like, something we're looking forward to, or is it something that God has given us that points people to Jesus? It's a higher view of marriage. Do we see it as a good, genuine, valid calling in life? Next week, we're going to ask ourselves those same questions about singleness. But for now, we're looking at marriage. So then second, for the married people, we need to evaluate how are we doing at following Jesus in our marriages? Husbands, how's it going loving your wife as Christ loved the church? That's a high call. How's it going? How do we need to grow in that? Wives, how's it going submitting to and respecting to your husband as unto the Lord? It's a high call. Third, there's a question for all of us to wrestle with again. Husband, wives, single people. How are we doing at helping our married people flourish in this church? Why all of us? Because if our married people are going to thrive, we need a whole church that helps and encourages and prays for and values and understands and cheers for the married people as they fight like crazy to follow Jesus and what he's called them to. Because it's not easy. And again, we're going to be asking the same questions next week about singleness. But for now, how are we doing at helping our married people flourish? You guys know Steve Classing, right? Yeah? Um, he and I, we, we've been meeting up every couple weeks to disciple one another and encourage each other for years now, and uh, he's a single guy, and I don't think he's intentionally approached me with the mindset, I'm going to disciple this guy in his marriage. I don't think he's done that, or in his parenting for that matter, but uh, that's another topic. But as, as we're digging into what God's doing in our lives and what God's stirring in my heart and Marriage has come up a lot. Parenting has come up a lot. And he has helped disciple me to be a better husband, to follow Jesus and what he's trying to tell me and what he's trying to show me in my marriage. It's been very valuable for me in my marriage. My point is just this. We, we all have a role to play in it. We don't have to just have married people discipling married people. 
we can all help each other and support each other and pray for each other and encourage each other. So how can we grow in that as a, as a church? Who are some married people that you can come alongside of to help or encourage or serve? Finally, this is the last thing I, I want to leave us with this morning. Sometime this week, I want to just challenge you to, to pause and, and reflect on that profound mystery. Because that's the point of this. That's what marriage is meant to highlight, right? Is that profound mystery that if you believe in Jesus, you are one with him. That reality changes everything in our lives. So I want to just challenge you to spend some time this week and meditate on that. Answer this question, how does God want that profound mystery to impact my life? You guys up for that? As you do, my prayer is that it points you to Jesus more and more. Let's pray. God, thanks for today and this chance that we had to come together and look at marriage just a little bit. Look at your design for marriage and your plan for marriage and we tell you we need your help. Our whole church, God, we pray you'd help us to see marriage the way you see it and value it the way you value it. Not idolize it, but also to see the great calling that it is. We pray we'd be a church that supports married people really well. We pray we'd be a church whose married couples are, are following your example. And we pray ultimately that all of that would point people to how amazing it is, the truth that if we believe in you, we are one with you forever. And we pray that our marriages would point to you. And we pray as we dig in next week that our, our singleness would point people to you. We tell you we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.